2: It's Tuesday, February 27th, 2024, the 1,133rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable a warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release the only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at i'm your you can do so for as little as fifty dollars a year or five dollars a month and in doing so you will be supporting me the work i do and this show as it expands and if you can't or you simply don't want to continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and of course rumble All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, I don't want to spend too much of the show on this, but it is an important narrative advancement in the normie sphere. Finally, one of their own has admitted that the election was actually stolen. And in fact, it's the leader of normie media himself, Tucker Carlson. 100%
1: 100% stolen. Are you like joking? it was
2: rigged to a, that large of a yeah, degree. Yeah,
1: they, they completely change the way people vote right before the election on the basis of COVID, which had nothing to do with... So in ma- that way, it was rigged, meaning... 100%. Like and then... Manipulated. Then you censor the information people are allowed to get. Anyone who complains about COVID, which is like... By the way, it might have hurt Trump. But, I mean, it's like, whatever. I mean, you could play it many different ways. You can't have censorship in a democracy by definition here's how it works the people rule they vote for representatives to carry their agenda to the capital city and get it enacted that's how they're in charge and then every few years they get to reassess the performance of those people in an election in order to do that they need a they need access unfettered access to information And no one, particularly not people who are already in power, is allowed to tell them what information they can have. They have to have all information that they want, whether the people in charge want it or don't want it or think it's true or think it's false. It doesn't matter.
2: And the second you don't have that, you don't have a democracy. It's not a free election, period. All right. So Tucker Carlson has gotten to the point of saying that our elections are stolen or at least One particular election was stolen. And how was it stolen? Well, they changed the methods by which elections were held. They changed the rules. They changed the laws unconstitutionally in the lead up to the election. The most obviously unconstitutional thing possible. That's how they have done it. He has finally admitted to a very, very dumb podcaster named Lex Friedman, who's like buddies with Elon Musk. So everybody thinks he's a genius. Friedman actually immediately jumps in. Oh, you're saying it was manipulated that way. And Tucker says yes and moves on to a conversation about censorship. Now, the conversation about censorship is a hugely important conversation. It's great that they're talking about it four years after it was fully implemented and destroying our country throughout 2020. But it's great they're talking about it. And Tucker does a fine job in describing what the danger of censorship is in a quote-unquote democracy. By the way, this isn't one, but this isn't a strong statement. We can applaud that Tucker has finally gotten there. And on some level, that's important because he's going to give permission to a bunch of normies to go out there and say, yeah, we know that Trump's election was stolen, but all of that was over three years ago, and now we've advanced to this point, And even if Trump was supposed to win in 2020, Here we are in 2024, and I can't get behind him. He's not the guy for the job. That is how normies are going to react. Normies want Joe Biden. They want Ron DeSantis. They want Nikki Haley. They want, many of them, even RFK Jr. He's certainly a little edgier than the others because he talks about taking on Big Pharma and the CIA, etc. But he's still within the range of acceptability for People in the normosphere that Donald Trump just isn't. Will this make it easier for all of those people who are still asleep to finally admit to one another that Trump won in 2020? Maybe it might help them get part of the way there. 37 months later. But the problem is what he just said still doesn't attack the actual problem, which is the entire election fraud apparatus. It's not just that they changed laws in the lead up to the election. That isn't it. It's not just the censorship. It's not just the Hunter Biden laptop. And it's not just the election of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. It's all our elections all around the country in every single element of the election system. And if you are a leader and an information gatekeeper, and after 37 months, you are still misleading people about that fact, it's awfully hard to see you as a good guy. Now, I know people get upset when I'm not giving people like Tucker Carlson the benefit of the doubt, but where is this going? Does Tucker Carlson spend the next two or three months warming up to the idea that our elections are stolen? Does he try to keep just barely anticipating the pace of the central narrative? Does he convince standard issue villagers on the Uniparty party right and even some MAGA people that he is at the leading edge of election fraud exposure and disclosure? Does he become a trusted figure to the point where people listen to him for advice on how to respond to this massive problem in our country that he still is totally unable to describe? What will the solutions be? Will he encourage people to vote early and ballot harvest and vote by mail? Or is he going to discover what a grave problem this actually is and stop pretending that we are in some normal political world where the analysis of five and 10 and 20 years ago still makes sense right now and provides a prism through which we can actually view what's happening right now. And if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, you are more than welcome to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm just saying I don't. I don't have any reason to do that because what I can see in front of me is what he has said over the past 37 months. And I think the clearest interpretation of what he said over that time is that he's not telling the truth. And if it's because he doesn't know the truth, that's a problem. If it's because he's not willing to say the truth, that's a problem. Both of those are problems. And if you project this out a month or two months or three months or eight months till we reach those last couple of weeks before the election. If over that time, he learns that our elections are in fact stolen and he convinces his massive audience of people who trust him that their response should be to support the election apparatus even harder, then there is no way to paint that as helping. MSNBC can perform that role. At some point, Donald Trump is going to put the facts of election fraud in the faces of the American public. And it will be the job of the limited hangout artists on MSNBC and CNN and Fox News and people like Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger and Barry Weiss. And yes, Tucker Carlson. It'll be their job to incorporate that new old knowledge into the current central narrative, making it okay, letting everybody know, yes, a bad thing happened, but here's how you can fix it. You're going to fix it by voting harder than you ever have before. And when we tell you that Donald Trump is the winner, then you will understand that finally you have voted hard enough. And then you will go back to your lives while we keep this election system in place. Now, if you want to risk that because you want to give Tucker the benefit of the doubt, then be my guest. Maybe you are confident that he will not lead people astray in that way. Or maybe you think that all of those things like ballot harvesting and mail-in voting and early voting really are the ways to win a rigged election and winning a rigged election will save America. But I don't believe that. And I don't have any reason to give Tucker Carlson the benefit of the doubt until he is telling his audience the truth. If he's ramping up to it slowly, all good. When he does it, I will give him credit for it. If he continues to withhold the truth, making little statements like this every now and again, and he convinces people to do all the wrong things in response, then sooner or later you have to accept that he's not up to the task. He's a wonderful communicator and seems to be a nice guy, and maybe he has certain things in his life that prevent him from saying certain things. But none of that matters. If you're going to be speaking to millions and millions of people and you're not telling them the truth, at some point, people who say they care about the truth have to stand up, notice that, and call it out. And hey, maybe it will incentivize him to tell more of the truth that he absolutely must know. Let's not be naive about this. And let's keep in mind that Steven Crowder nearly signed a contract with the Daily Wire to make somewhere in excess of $600,000 a week to be the new guy at Daily Wire. What do you think that means for how much those guys are making? Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, Jordan Peterson, the rest of them. Tucker Carlson is bigger than all of those people. There's no reason not to assume he is making comparable money to that. He also has his show specifically hosted on Elon Musk's X platform, Formerly Twitter. And he's talking about censorship with Elon Musk's buddy, Lex Friedman, while Elon Musk runs a heavily censored platform. We can like Elon the same way we can like Tucker. We can hope that Elon's a good guy the same way we hope that about Tucker. And we also have to see this for what it is. If people are talking about how the election was stolen in one of the many ways in which it was stolen, and then they turn to a conversation about censorship being the main problem while both supporting a man who says he is a free speech absolutist in his pursuit for free speech while he is running a heavily censored platform. My point is not to make you dislike these people or judge these people or play white hats versus black hats with them. That's not the point of any of this. The point is to understand what's going on. And when people in positions of public power or public influence have a responsibility to tell people the truth and they say they're telling people the truth and they're not telling the truth, you have to demand better. And if you're not demanding better, then you can't expect to get better. Why would these people take the necessary risks, the risks that must be taken in order to wake people up? If no one is actually demanding it from them, at some point, people need to clearly demand the truth and make it clear that the people are ready to take on the responsibility and drive this thing forward. All right, so let's get into what I actually want to talk about today. And we are coming up to the first Friday government shutdown deadline after that deadline was pushed back. From January 19th and February 2nd, now we have a deadline, March 1st, this Friday, and March 8th, next Friday. MSNBC has started talking about this on their airwaves. They posted the government funding deadlines on March 1st at eleven nineteen p.m. The Agriculture Department, the Energy Department, the Housing and Urban Development Department, the Transportation Department, And the Veterans Affairs Department, that is their funding deadline. March 8th has the Defense Department, the State Department, the Justice Department, and other government departments. And this shutdown program we're on with these staggered deadlines will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they rationalize and explain to the country why we must meet both of these deadlines and make sure the government is fully funded or else everything is going to collapse. And so this has been months in the making. Now, we have been talking about this since last fall. These were the same spending issues that led up to Kevin McCarthy being ousted in a motion to vacate. Now, I didn't want to see a new Speaker of the House, but we got one a couple weeks later. Mike Johnson, he got in there not long after that. He talked about Israel spending. He talked about Ukraine spending, and then he pushed these deadlines off. He brought continuing resolutions to the floor that would keep funding the government. He wasn't willing to shut the government down. Instead, he extended those deadlines. And a lot of people got very, very upset with him. I said at the time, this is not the thing to be upset about. Because rather than pushing the spending into 2025, we do have these deadlines now. He did kick the can down the road, but he only kicked it a little way down the road. Those extensions just pushed us through that holiday season so that all of the debate over government shutdowns and spending deadlines and omnibus packages that continue giving away money for the rest of this year, that would all have to be done right out in the open. It's not going to get buried in that time between Thanksgiving and New Year's. It's got to get hashed out in the open. What we can now clearly see, Everyone in the country can see that the Uniparty wants more money. What do they want more money for? They want money for fake foreign proxy wars in Ukraine, in Israel and Taiwan. And in order to make it seem like we are getting something we want while they're getting something they want, they say to us, we're going to fix that border problem you're so worked up about. Or more correctly, we're going to fix that border problem we've got you so worked up about after ignoring it for nearly three years. All you America first people, all you MAGA people, all you Christian nationalists, all you anti-globalists, you say immigration is a problem. Well, if you really believe immigration is a problem, then you would want to fix that immigration problem, wouldn't you? And here's how we can fix it. We're going to extend your indentured servitude for decades and decades more, your servitude, your children's servitude, your grandchildren's servitude. We're just going to extend those indefinitely. And we're not really going to solve the immigration problem, not in the way you want, but what we're going to do is we're going to take all that money that we will get from your indentured servitude. And we are going to put that into making our global slave trade even more efficient. And while we're at it, we are going to increase our technical capabilities in terms of surveillance, biometrics, every way we could ever imagine tracking you. We're going to test it out at the border on our slaves, and then we're going to turn it inward into the country and target the rest of you slaves. Now, that whole process fell apart because Donald Trump and MAGA stepped in and made it narratively impossible To simply shuffle that package through the illegitimate Congress, illegitimate Senate, and get it signed by the illegitimate president. And in response, the Uniparty and their propaganda media tried the impossible. They tried to say that Donald Trump and MAGA were actually weak on immigration. The open border is not a Joe Biden problem. It's not a Uniparty problem. It's not a global regime problem. It's Donald Trump and those damn MAGA's. Who just won't agree to fix immigration despite screaming about immigration for three years while we were ignoring it? They wanted us to pay attention. Here we are paying attention. We're trying to freak the whole country out about immigration right now to get this bill passed, and the people who've been freaking out about immigration the whole time now they just don't even want our bill passed. In fact, they're saying that bill's gonna make the problem even worse while wasting our money and locking the system of this global slave trade in place. And this is one of those moments where you have to wonder, do they not listen to us at all? Do they really believe the stories contained within that central narrative bubble? Do they really think that the censored platforms like Instagram and Facebook and Google and YouTube, and yes, Twitter, the intellectual kids' table, Do they really think that's all the information and no one else out there knows anything that could possibly be true outside of that bubble? You really do have to wonder if these people have just been rendered permanently retarded by going along with the censorship. They have spent the last four years learning in heavily censored environments where the truth is just simply is not on the menu. And so they have tried to create a truth out of whatever's left and assume that that represents the full scope of relevant information and all of the legitimate positions they might consider occupying. And so we'll come back in just a second to the immigration issue and to some of the fake foreign proxy war issues, specifically dealing with Russia and Ukraine. But first, let's hit this from the Hill yesterday. McConnell, we are not going to let government shut down. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell vowed to reporters Monday that Senate Republicans would not let the government shut down. Later, warning colleagues on the floor that a government shutdown would be a political loser for fellow lawmakers. You see the voters out there, they're going to take it out on the Republicans. If the Republicans allow the government to be shut down, the voters are going to take it out on them. In those very real elections, we're not going to allow government to shut down. McConnell told reporters Monday as he walked to the Senate chamber to deliver his opening comments for the week. The veteran GOP leader doubled down on his message on the Senate floor, urging colleagues to avoid a standoff that could wind up shuttering. Federal departments and agencies. And I'm not sure I feel good enough about my Mitch McConnell impression to do large blocks right now. It's probably a terrible impression, to be honest. So I'm just going to use my normal voice and read Mitch McConnell's comments. He said, without action by Friday, the country would face needless disruptions to agriculture, transportation, military construction, and essential services at the VA. McConnell warned colleagues on the floor in comments that also appeared to be directed at the house. Oh yeah. Mitch is putting pressure on the MAGA Republicans in the house. So I'll say at the outset, what I've said every time Congress has faced this threat, shutting down the government is harmful to the country and it never produces positive outcomes on policy or politics. He said, well, Mitch, That's because you and your uniparty pals have run the government. The American people are saying, shut down the government. It is not your job to convince the American people that they're wrong and do what you want anyway. Senator Susan Collins, the vice chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee, said several substantive differences remain between Democratic and Republican negotiators in both chambers. I think we're making real progress despite the chatter you may hear. I talked to the speaker today and I've been in touch with the staff and also my counterparts on the defense subcommittee. She said, referring to her conversations with Speaker Mike Johnson and fellow members of the appropriations panels. She said the negotiations over some of the policy writers that House conservatives want to add to the package have been, quote, elevated to the leadership level. I'm hopeful that we can avoid a government shutdown, which would be a disaster, and actually move some bills this week. What I'm not sure of is what the exact plan is for moving the agreed-upon conference reports, she said, and which bills are in which packages. Now, I have said since last fall, when Mike Johnson was finally named Speaker of the House, that I thought Mike Johnson would be taken out on a motion to vacate over this issue. Still remains to be seen whether or not that will be true. But what we know for certain is that the unit party wants to extend your indentured servitude for as long as it needs to at every possible moment where it might need to. It is literally their job to convince the American people it's in their best interests to further recommit to the global regime and its central bankers and the Fiat currency they hold over our heads, currently branded as the U.S. dollar. This is what the battle is actually over. What happens when this government runs out of money and no longer asks the central bank fiat regime for support and no longer agrees to extend our indentured servitude? The quote unquote full faith and credit of the United States of America is the people working and giving the fruits of their labor and their energy freely back to the fiat regime. You exist to generate the productivity required for them to continue implementing their agenda. And in return, they promise to potentially slightly reduce your suffering someday. And in the meantime, they're going to give you enough treats and distractions to make sure you won't get too upset. Now, every time one of these government shutdown deadlines comes along, we get our hopes up that they'll finally shut this government down and something is actually going to happen. We're going to get to the other side of this. We're going to break through the mythology they've set up around government shutdowns. And very quickly, the entire country is going to realize that shutting down the federal government actually isn't a disaster. And that, of course, would be a nightmare because the government shutdown being a disaster is one of those things they need everyone to accept in order to use it the way they always use it, which is by holding everyone and everything for ransom. They are saying, as they always do, you must do everything we tell you to do or else everything is going to be destroyed And it will be blamed on you. Now, I don't think anybody doubts that they would be happy to have something else to blame on us, but you have to think that they would rather just get their way, get all of these plans locked in, create a situation where no one on quote unquote either side can even get mad at them and continue on their merry way. They'll be happy to get what they want and blame us for making it so that they almost didn't. They will say Donald Trump and his MAGA extremists, they walked us right up to the edge of disaster. We even tried to give them an immigration package. They wouldn't take yes for an answer. They were ready to destroy this country. And thank goodness the adults in the room finally got what they wanted. Thank goodness to all of you who came out and supported us continuing to extend your indentured servitude, because if you hadn't done that, oh boy, everything would have definitely fallen apart this time. And in the interest of getting what they want the easy way, they have continued to ratchet up the tension and ratchet up the drama hoping that everyone could get back on the same page about some of these issues and then provide that needed thrust of public support to tell members of the Uniparty, hey, we'll believe that you were reelected despite voting for this. They need those Uniparty members to feel safe, like they will never be held accountable for working in direct opposition to the interests of the American public. They are violating their oaths. They are violating the public trust if they go forward with all of this without the public's consent. And so they are trying to manufacture consent. Now, we talked about this at great length a few weeks ago, and everybody was really upset at that moment about the Supreme Court decision. People were getting mad at Amy Coney Barrett because she said that the illegitimate Biden regime could go down to the southern border and cut barbed wire that was supposedly just holding back the tidal wave of illegal aliens who wanted to enter the country. The problem had been going on, totally ignored by the fake president for three years. You remember the stories about the border patrol on horses, whipping the illegal aliens, all of that nonsense. There was no move from the illegitimate Biden administration to solve any problems at the border, and then all of a sudden, three years into the fake administration, now it's a priority. The fake president came out and said to the country, you need to give me more power in order to fix this problem at the border, despite the fact that the president does not need any more power. Not that Joe Biden is an actual president exercising the proper authority of that office, But there are no additional authorities that must be granted from the people to the executive in order to enforce immigration laws. It's all there. It can be done right now. They could shut the border down right now. They could end the human trafficking, the drug trafficking, the weapons trafficking, the sex trafficking, the child sex trafficking. And with that, you would begin to erode the power of these cartels to influence politics, not only in our neighboring country, Mexico, but right here in the United States of America. All of that could be done and it is not being done. But what's going to fix it is a few bales of barbed wire rolled out along the southern border of Texas. Except that was not going to fix the problem. And Amy Coney Barrett's decision in the Supreme Court for all of the hype and all of the random screaming that came along with it was not and is not what allowed this country to be invaded. The trucker convoy that was supposed to go down coinciding with that, that never really materialized. We had a bunch of major immigration stories all hit at one moment. Total chaos. Everybody immediately believes that immigration is our number one problem. And again, not trying to diminish the problem. I've been talking about the problem for three years nonstop. I'm talking about how the unit party acts and how the media acts so that we can understand what's attempted here in the central narrative, what this narrative deployment is designed to do and how we can react to it, how we interact with it and engage with it. The people pushing this stuff never pushed it on these issues ever before up till now. And now they want to make sure That you and everyone like you is as upset as you could possibly ever be about these problems so that you will push and allow the government to do exactly what it wants to do because it tells you we are the only way that this problem can be fixed. Now, thankfully, we are moving beyond that. And I'm guessing most, if not all of you, have mentally moved beyond that. But in order to effectively counteract what it is they're attempting to do, We need to understand what it is they're attempting to do rather than get caught up in the emotionality of some of these narrative deployments. And unfortunately, that means calling into question stories that might pull at our heartstrings, stories that might coerce our belief because we don't want to deny the truth of the story. And here's an example of what I'm talking about just to get your mind focused before we address the central issue here. Yesterday, a man named Simon Atiba who is the African member of the White House press corps who regularly participates in the White House press briefings and routinely gets shut down by Karine Jean-Pierre, thus creating viral moments on that alone. I think he's actually maybe even been kicked out of the White House press briefings. But he posted yesterday on X, formerly Twitter, that there had been an assassination attempt against Tucker Carlson while he was in Russia. And of course, people rushed to support this claim. People like Benny Johnson and Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk imagined that that weird trans American who went to Ukraine and now claims to be a spokesman for the Ukrainian military. I'm not sure if you remember that video. This was maybe six or seven months ago. The man pretending to be a woman now goes as Sarah Ashton Cirillo and was making these threats about how the Russian devil's teeth were gnashing. And what Ukraine was going to do was go assassinate the pro Putin journalists Charlie Kirk was like, hey, remember this video from back then? I speculated that the person they were going to go after was Tucker Carlson. And look at that. Now there's an attempted assassination of Tucker Carlson. Well, there's not. There's no proof of that whatsoever. The entire story is ridiculous. But it went around the Internet all afternoon yesterday, especially among those people who want to be the biggest influencers in all of Con Inc., Because this was their perfect opportunity to let everybody know how revered Tucker Carlson is, how much they love and respect Tucker Carlson, how Tucker Carlson is the best of us all. He's the most important journalist who has ever existed on earth, and that's why they're attempting to assassinate him over there, even if they're not. And there's no proof of it whatsoever. People wanted to believe it. It fit. So they believed it, except it didn't fit for me. And I didn't want to believe it. Because it was ridiculous as soon as you look at it. Vladimir Putin has no reason to want to assassinate Tucker Carlson. He could have simply done it. And there's no reason to believe that the anti-Russia side had a reason to do it either. The story itself does nothing but enhance Tucker Carlson's street cred. But what ultimately ended up happening was that a few mainstream, major con-inc influencers thoroughly embarrassed themselves online by believing a very, very dumb story. People read the claims online and saw a video of a guy who claims he was paid $4,000 to blow up Tucker Carlson's vehicle. The video is supposedly him confessing while being interrogated by Russian police. Now, is it possible that all of this is true and that this guy was actually plotting an attempt on Tucker Carlson's life? I guess It is possible, but there's no reason to believe it. There is no proof that this is true. All we have is a video of a guy in a room who makes some claims. There is no proof of those claims. Therefore, we do not actually need to supply a hundred percent proof that the claims aren't true. There's nothing substantiating them. It's not our job to assume that by default, these claims are true until proven otherwise. And so with that in mind, I want to go to a story that is being heavily pushed right now. And I'm not saying that it's not true. I'm not saying it doesn't deserve to be pushed at all. I'm saying that in addition to whatever the reality is, there is an info op happening. And we need to understand the goals of that info op in order to counteract it. That does not require us to committing to calling something fake, though it might be or to not caring about a very real problem, even if this story proves to be untrue. We can understand the problem, we can take away the proper lesson, and at the same time, we can absolutely refuse to comply with any of the manipulation that is being attempted by the propaganda media on behalf of the Uniparty and its agenda. So this is from People Magazine on Friday. Georgia college student who went for jog was found dead with visible injuries as police suspect foul play. A college student was found dead Thursday on the University of Georgia campus after she went missing while on a jog, officials said. The woman has been identified as 22-year-old Lakin Hope Riley. Athens-Clarke County Coroner Sonny Wilson confirmed to people Friday morning. The coroner said a cause and manner of death is still pending and declined to comment, further citing the ongoing investigation. She was a nursing student at Augusta University, also located in the city of Athens. Augusta University President Brooks Keel confirmed in a statement obtained by NBC News. In a statement shared Thursday by the University of Georgia, officials said the woman was reported missing by a friend after failing to return home from a jog at the UGA intramural fields that morning. Officers responded to the area and began a search. UGA police chief Jeff Clark said at Thursday's press conference streamed by Fox 5 Atlanta. At around 1238 p.m., a body was discovered in a wooded area behind a lake. The individual was unconscious, not breathing, and had visible injuries, Clark said, adding that the victim was pronounced dead at the scene by medical workers. We have been fully briefed on this terrible situation, UGA said in the statement. Foul play is suspected, and we are already receiving support from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and Athens-Clark County Police Department to investigate this crime. We want to assure you that the safety and welfare of our campus is our top concern. The death also comes one day after a student died by suicide on the UGA campus. Clark confirmed at the press conference that the two deaths are not related. So that's where we were at on Friday morning. And I'll get into some more details of the story and how it has developed since. But what I want to focus on right now is that that story appears on the website of People Magazine. That is People.com reporting about the murder of a college girl. And if that's all the story was, then you could totally understand People.com reporting on that story. Missing Girl is like one of the biggest viral story genres in all of American media, and it's been that way for decades. If you want to distract the entire country for weeks on end, just tell them a girl is missing. And if it's a pretty young blonde girl, all the better. You will have the country's complete and total attention for months, maybe years at a time. Except here's the thing. The suspect in this case is a man named Jose Antonio Ibarra, who is an illegal alien. That detail, of course, came out after the original story was announced and reported and People Magazine has not updated on those facts on their website since then. They still just have that first story, that initial story. That is the only story you can find on their website when you search Lake and Riley. Now, if you search illegal immigrant on their website, you can get all sorts of stories. But they're not about instances of illegal aliens committing migrant crime in the United States of America. They're articles trying to slam Republicans and MAGA for talking about illegal immigration the wrong way. Here are some headlines from people.com. Texas Governor Greg Abbott sparks outrage after referring to mass shooting victims as illegal immigrants. Tommy Loren criticized after telling fans to steal groceries from liberals as an analogy for illegal immigration. Trump has had an undocumented immigrant making his bed since 2013. Trump's new deportation rules. How will things change for undocumented immigrants? Nicki Minaj reveals she came to the U.S. illegally at age five. I can't imagine having my parents stripped away. President Trump pardons controversial former Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio. I searched illegal immigrant crime, undocumented immigrant crime, illegal immigrant murder, and there's nothing really. Only one article that even sort of relates to the subject. The headline for that under their crime section is Molly Tibbetts' relatives speak out as Trump uses murder as talking point. Evil comes in every color. So it was actually a story about the family of a victim of migrant crime from back in 2018. And the story is written to accuse Donald Trump of racial and ethnic insensitivities in response to the murder of a young girl by an illegal alien. Now, I know people.com is not what is seen as a reputable news source. And I'm not bringing this up to go after their coverage of this or of anything else. I'm only bringing it up To illustrate the point that this Lakin Riley story is now a national story and its virality has been pushed by propaganda media sources that represent the interests of the uniparty left. So even the uniparty left audience is getting the message that sometimes illegal aliens randomly kill innocent Americans. But also, it's just an isolated event, just an isolated event. They're not going to start reporting about migrant crime. But why are they reporting this story at all? Why are the news outlets around the nation reporting this story? Why is it now okay to put a story about migrant crime right in people's faces? Now, you might say that's ghosts in the machine. That's White Hats deploying this narrative to wake the country up about illegal immigration. And you might be right. Maybe we're just reaching that time where all of these narratives finally get their exposure. And maybe upon finally gaining some understanding on this issue, people who ignored the illegal alien problem before might begin taking notice of it. And maybe that might lead to voting for Donald Trump or other representatives that commit to actually solving the immigration problem. Or maybe it just leads them to remain connected to the official story within the central narrative for a few more weeks while they think about illegal aliens until the next national viral true crime story comes along and they move right to that and forget all about this one. Now, I know that people out there would prefer that I not express doubts on stories like this because they think it's horrible that a young girl has been murdered, according to these reports, and that the murderer is an illegal alien. Also, according to these reports, it's terrible that a young girl has died, an innocent young woman has died, and it's terrible that it came at the hands of someone who should not be here in the first place. We do not have to deny the reality of that problem. We do not have to deny the importance of that problem or how sad it is that that problem continues. But we can also recognize that this is a narrative deployment along the lines of the one's We just saw a few weeks ago the battle over barbed wire, the trucker convoy, the stories about sanctuary cities being overwhelmed to the point where even Democrats are upset with their own Democrat leaders for being too lenient when it comes to illegal aliens. Why would they allow all the child brains and all the standard issue Uniparty left villagers to engage with this illegal alien story if this wasn't just exposure and disclosure, if this wasn't all sincere? Well, it's because they need both sides of the Uniparty to get this done. The Uniparty left and the Uniparty right are going to come together for the Unipartisan compromise, and they are going to tell supporters of the Uniparty out there, we're going to need All the narrative help you can provide on this one. Please tell your friends and neighbors it's important for us to pass this unipartisan compromise because that's the only way we can solve this immigration problem. Don't kid yourself. Viewers of Rachel Maddow and Joy Ann Reed and Jen Psaki and Anderson Cooper. They want to pretend that they care about the illegal alien problem. And in order to prove that they care about the illegal alien problem, they will get behind a story like this Lake and Riley story because it's just one illegal alien who caused this problem. It's an isolated incident. You see, we can get appropriately mad about this story without assuming that all illegal aliens are causing a problem. And once we've gotten that far, well, then what is the appropriate solution to make sure that an isolated incident like this is less likely to happen in the future? They can't make it so that it'll never happen in the future ever again. I mean, this is just a a random isolated incident, but we can make it less likely. And how are we going to make it less likely? Well, I guess we'd have to have a better screening system to make sure that the illegal aliens coming in are not criminals or at least not the types who would commit crimes beyond the crime of coming illegally into the United States of America and expecting a job and housing and food and health care and phones and schooling for your children and whatever else. And hey, it turns out that in that unipartisan compromise, what the uniparty is actually trying to get is more surveillance and better screening and more people to do it. And it's not just at the border. They're going to keep setting up those immigrant processing facilities all over Central and South America. They're going to perfect their system so that when they bring in slaves, I mean, illegal aliens into the United States of America, we have at least a slightly better chance of them not being violent criminals just pass this unipartisan compromise. Don't do it for us. Do it for Lake and Riley and all of those brave Ukrainians and all of those brave Israelis and all of those brave Taiwanese. You see, if you don't help us right now when we're holding this gun to your head, well, we're going to tell everybody that you are fully and completely responsible for these problems that we've caused over the last three years. And you don't want us telling people it's your fault, not with Lake and Riley's memory fresh in their minds. And again, I don't mean to sound insensitive. If Lake and Riley is a real woman who was really murdered by a real illegal alien, and the aspects of this story that we know so far are being reported truly and correctly, then all of that is very sad. But since we can't actually assume that we know any of those things, What we can do is operate on a narrative level and try to understand the goals and the motivations here, how the story is being used, whether it's true or false, it is still being used to accomplish certain things. And those certain things are things the Uniparty already wanted to accomplish. They are not pursuing their goals in response to the murder of Lake and Riley They are using the story about Lake and Riley's murder to accomplish their goals. If anything could ever be insensitive to the fact that an innocent life was lost, it is taking that innocent life, claiming ownership over that story, and then using it to accomplish one's political goals. The New York Times covered the additional facts Friday afternoon in an update to their original reporting of the murder of Lake and Riley. Writing, a 26-year-old man was charged on Friday with kidnapping and murdering a nursing student whose body was found in a wooded area at the University of Georgia in Athens the previous day, the authorities announced. They called the homicide the first in nearly 30 years on campus, a crime of opportunity, and said that the two apparently had not known each other. University police identified the suspect as Jose Antonio Ibarra, 26, At an evening news conference, Jeffrey Clark, the chief of university police, said that while Mr. Ibarra lives in Athens, he is not a citizen of the United States. And you may have seen some memes and the headlines about how news outlets are referring to Ibarra, this suspect, as an Athens man and not as an illegal alien. He is not a resident of the United States. Asked about a motive for the killing, Chief Clark said this was just a crime of opportunity. Later, he said this was an individual who woke up with bad intentions. When asked about how Ms. Riley was killed, the chief said blunt force trauma. The chief did not give details about how the crime unfolded, saying that the investigation was continuing. He said that while a number of people were initially taken into custody, Mr. Ibarra had acted alone and was the only one charged. And most of the rest of the article is stories about reactions confirming how sad this event was. Call me cynical, but I am just waiting to hear from some member of the uniparty right or the uniparty left. Tell us that they are proposing the Lake and Riley amendment that now makes that Border security package, the most perfect unipartisan compromise that anyone has ever seen. Okay, so that's the narrative manipulation for one half of the unipartisan compromise. Remember, there are two halves. The immigration is one of the halves, the fake foreign proxy wars are the other half. They want to extend the indentured servitude of all Americans indefinitely for generations to keep the government open. And they are going to sell all of this as extremely important to every American on the basis of both of these halves of the unipartisan compromise. So let's move to the other one. We've been talking quite a bit about Alexei Navalny and how they were exploiting his reported death, blaming it on Vladimir Putin, despite the fact that Putin was talking about giving Alexei Navalny to the global West in trade for a man named Vadim Krasikov. So Putin couldn't have been too concerned about punishing Alexei Navalny forever in prison. And despite the fact that there was no proof anywhere that Putin had ordered his killing or participated in his killing, the only reason anyone believed it at all is because there was a prior accusation of Putin attempting to assassinate Navalny. and There's no proof of that either. And all of this was to further degrade Russia in the eyes of the public, making it more likely that the package for the fake foreign proxy war spending would be passed. They seem to be replacing one Manchurian candidate in Alexei Navalny with another Manchurian candidate, Yulia Navalnaya, his wife. She's going to the Munich Security Conference. She's flying to California to meet the fake president, Joe Biden, exploiting the death of her husband the entire time and essentially doing PR for just one of the ways they are exploiting her husband's name, which was to last week, use it as part of the justification for the proposed package of sanctions and seizures. We'll get back to that in just a minute. But this is from the BBC this morning. Alexei Navalny, opposition leader's lawyer, reportedly arrested in Moscow. A lawyer for Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, who died in prison this month, has reportedly been arrested in Moscow. According to Russian media sources, Vasily Dubkov was detained for, quote, violating public order. Following Navalny's death, Mr. Dubkov accompanied his mother to the Arctic prison colony, where he died on 16 February. Now, you wouldn't expect the BBC to have just massive grammatical issues, but the sentence they wrote says that after Navalny died, Mr. Dubkov and his mother went to the Arctic prison colony where Mr. Dubkov previously died. That makes no sense. But hey, they're even more of a mess on the other side of the pond than we are here. The Russian authorities have not yet confirmed the arrest of Mr. Dubkov. In October 2023, other lawyers for Navalny, Vadim Kobzev, Igor Sergunin, and Alexei Lipster, were arrested on charges of extremism. In January, Olga Mikhailova, another lawyer for the opposition leader, said she had been charged with the same crime and decided to remain in exile. Russian authorities banned the Anti-Corruption Foundation, the organization led by Navalny, for extremism in 2021. The opposition leader's body was held by prison authorities for more than a week following his death. His mother, Ludmila Navalnya, traveled to the remote Polar Wolf Jail where he died to retrieve his body accompanied by Mr. Dubkov. The body was handed over to his mother eight days after his death. Mrs. Navalny said she was threatened by authorities who wanted her son to be buried in quote-unquote secret. Navalny's allies have said they are looking for a place to hold a public memorial for the former opposition leader. However, Navalny's press secretary, Kira Yarmish, said on Tuesday that most funeral locations they had contacted had refused to allow a ceremony on their premises. So Navalny's lawyer, accompanied by Navalny's mom, goes to the Polar Wolf prison complex where over the course of eight days, they are able to, I guess, convince Russian authorities to release Alexei Navalny's body to the family. And now the lawyer is arrested in Moscow. Reuters has since updated the story and said that Vasily Dubkov later told the independent news outlet Verstka that he had been released. Berska reported that he did not comment on the reason for his detention, but said it was an obstruction of his activity as a lawyer. Navalny's mom had been claiming that Vladimir Putin was making it difficult for her to get Navalny's body and for them to have a proper burial, that he was somehow making it impossible for them to host a public burial as they wanted. The claim was that Russian officials wanted them to have a secret funeral. And over the course of these last 10 days, it seems like the story has just fallen completely apart. We've gone from Putin is definitely responsible for the death of his most credible political opposition to now the understanding that if Alexei Navalny died, it was from natural causes, it was from a blood clot, and the people looking to use this situation in order to smear Vladimir Putin are left complaining about funeral arrangements and claiming to be arrested in Moscow as part of an attempt to interfere with their very official Alexei Navalny related business, but actually are just briefly detained and let go. The entire presentation of Navalny as a credible political opposition to Vladimir Putin and the entire narrative about Putin's interference. And some vendetta he has against this family, the narrative about him wanting Navalny dead in the first place, all of this is just completely disintegrating right out in the open. And I was thinking about going into the big story from the New York Times over the weekend detailing the past decade of the CIA's involvement in Ukraine, kind of giving up the whole ball game on the idea That Vladimir Putin just staged an unprovoked, very brutal invasion. That report is quite long. It would be worth devoting a lot more time to. And I don't think we have time for that today, maybe later this week. But let's focus back in on the two halves of the unipartisan compromise and where it looks like that's going. This is from today in the Associated Press. Yellen urges world leaders to unlock frozen Russian central bank assets and send them to Ukraine. And so this is what we were talking about last week with the sanctions and the seizures. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on Tuesday offered her strongest public support yet for the idea of liquidating roughly $300 billion in frozen Russian central bank assets and using them for Ukraine's long-term reconstruction. It is necessary and urgent. For our coalition to find a way to unlock the value of these immobilized assets to support Ukraine's continued resistance and long-term reconstruction, Yellen said in remarks in Sao Paulo, Brazil, where G20 finance ministers and central bank governors are meeting this week. I believe there is a strong international law, economic and moral case for moving forward. This would be a decisive response to Russia's unprecedented threat to global stability, she said. And global stability in this case means, quote unquote, our democracy. The threat she's concerned about is the threat to the global, international, liberal, rules-based order. It's not to global stability. Russia demilitarizing and denazifying Ukraine is not destabilizing the globe. It is just throwing a massive wrench in the global regime's agenda by eliminating one of their strongholds. The United States and its allies froze hundreds of billions of dollars in Russian foreign holdings in retaliation for Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Those billions have been sitting untapped as the war grinds on, now in its third year while officials from multiple countries have debated the legality of sending the money to Ukraine. More than two-thirds of Russia's immobilized central bank funds are located in the EU. So basically, the global West levied all of these threats against Russia at the beginning of the very brutal invasion. They applied all sorts of sanctions, separated Russia from SWIFT, they waged economic warfare on the people of Russia, and they failed. And Russia economically is stronger than they were then. They're also a member of the BRICS Currency Alliance. Whatever pressure they tried to apply on Russia in the economic realm failed. And while freezing those assets did not stop Russia in their mission, it wasn't successful at actually accomplishing its goals, those assets still were frozen. And right now, the global regime is deciding whether or not they can get away with stealing those assets and redirecting them to all of the people and entities and places that the money from this unipartisan compromise is meant to be funding. They have a whole lot of corrupt little commie mouths to feed, and they've got to launder the money to be able to do it. It's got to come from somewhere. Someone has to be responsible for all of this. Someone is going to need to recommit and extend the indentured servitude of all of the American people, if no one is going to approve the printing of trillions of new regime fiat bucks currently branded as the American dollar, then they'll just have to steal it from those evil Russians and give it to those very brave Ukrainians and their leader, the comedic actor Volodymyr Zelensky. It's basically like Robin Hood. But instead of robbing the evil, corrupt government and giving the money back to the people, they're just robbing a country who's not going along with their program. And they're giving it to Nazi battalions and transnational corporations. But other than that, it's almost exactly like the Robin Hood story back to the Associated Press. Using the assets to help Ukraine would make clear that Russia cannot win by prolonging the war and would incentivize it to come to the table to negotiate a just peace with Ukraine, Yellen said. That is nuts. That would not make it clear that Russia cannot win by prolonging a war. There is nothing that is going to make Russia lose this quote unquote war, certainly not redirecting frozen assets that were stolen two years ago. But here's the real kicker. The idea of using Russia's frozen assets has gained traction lately as continued allied funding for Ukraine becomes more uncertain and the U.S. Congress is in a stalemate over providing more support. But there are trade-offs since the weaponization of global finance could harm the U.S. dollar's standing as the world's dominant currency. How about that? They are about to risk the standing of the U.S. dollar as the world's dominant currency and weaponize global finance in the process in order to give this money to Ukraine because they can't get it funded by passing the unipartisan compromise. Now, we've been talking about this problem for months and months, but it's not me saying it right now. This is the regime's propaganda media outlet, the Associated Press. This is the illegitimate administration's illegitimate treasury secretary saying this. They understand the risks and they don't care because this was always going to be part of the process. They are trying to destroy the currency that is part of the Great Reset, and they want to be able to move people from that to a central bank digital currency. You have to understand that the story and the mirror of that story, are playing out on the same timeline. And both of those generalized versions, both of those paths, one being reality prime, the other being the false reality, those are converging. And only one of those versions will go forward. And it's up to everybody to decide which version will go forward. But in either scenario, the regime fiat currency, currently branded as the U.S. dollar, is going to crash. What matters is the response to that. They are devaluing our currency. They are printing trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars just so they can continue funding the elements of their own system that continue to need funding. And when it comes time to pay the piper and that becomes impossible, they are going to incentivize people with an escape hatch. That escape hatch is going to be the central bank digital currency. They're going to say, look at that. Your financial life has been destroyed. We're really sorry that happened, but we are willing to ease your suffering a little bit. The suffering that yes, we have created and increased. We're going to turn that down just a little bit. It'll be closer to what it was before If you just go along with this central bank digital currency and yeah, we can turn your money off. If you misbehave, we can make it so that you have to stay up to date on your vaccine subscriptions. If you want to go shop for groceries, but look at this situation you're in. Sure. We did this to you intentionally, but we told you we were going to do this and you didn't do anything about it. So here we are. Now you don't have any money. If you want to have some money, just come and join our new system. And we're just going to put everything else behind us. It's going to be water under the bridge. Just come on board with the central bank digital currency. Everything's going to be just fine. You see, that crash is going to occur in either one of those stories. They have been guiding us to all these places. It is just about the response. The playbook and the counter playbook are all accounting for the same events and trying to steer things in different directions. If we want to double down and go into the false reality and be there absolutely forever, just the end of human liberty, everyone lives permanently trapped in this ridiculous dystopia where everything is also its opposite, or we can all choose reality prime. And in that world, we actually have to fight For free and fair elections and a legitimate currency that cannot be manipulated to our detriment at all times. At the bare minimum, that means fortifying yourself and diversifying, perhaps into precious metals. And hey, if that's your thing, you can go to reasonablegold.com. But I think it's probably much more likely that the right decision is to diversify into Bitcoin. You owe it to yourself to at least. Think about these things and explore these options. No one is going to just teach you what to do. It's going to be a project. It's not going to be fun. You're going to have to learn about new systems. It's not going to come naturally. But if you spent 10 or 20 or 100 hours of last year thinking about the creepy little dude on the Bud Light can and Consuming content about that creepy little dude from the leading producers of trans content at the Daily Wire? Well, maybe those hundred hours could have been used for something else, like learning about what the future of finance might be. Because again, the only reason you're listening to a podcast like this is because you understand that the information being disseminated in the mainstream is bullshit, it's not attached to reality in any way that matters, in any way that could possibly affect your life. It is trying to distract you. It is trying to keep you uninformed so that this process moves on without you and you are continually struggling to catch up to something instead of being ahead of things. And you can be ahead of things. You can anticipate what the future is going to be so long as you are prepared to venture out a little bit on your own, maybe go a little bit further than you've gone the last time leaving these old authoritative sources behind, leaving these old thought processes behind, and trying to figure out the path forward for yourself, which means taking ownership of your belief formation and taking ownership of your decisions about how to guide your life as you approach those moments in the future. Let's close out this AP article. Yellen said Tuesday that it is, quote unquote, extremely unlikely. That tapping the frozen funds would harm the dollar standing in the global economy, quote, especially given the uniqueness of the situation where Russia is brazenly violating international norms. Realistically, there are not alternatives to the dollar, euro and yen. Yellen said, so there are no other alternatives other than the regime fiat currency. Therefore, this is not going to be a problem. Russia is unique in the way they have violated international norms. Therefore, this is not going to be a problem. Neither of those explanations make sense. Neither of those explanations indicate that it is extremely unlikely that tapping the frozen funds would harm the dollar standing in the global economy. And she's not actually arguing that. She's just saying that. What she's actually arguing is is that even though there is a chance that the dollar standing in the global economy might be destroyed, it is still worth it despite that because of the uniqueness of the threat that Russia presents to that one world, liberal, international, rules-based order. She's not actually saying it's unlikely at all. She's just saying it's worth it no matter what. This is what we have to do because otherwise we might not get this money to our friends in Ukraine. And if we can't keep our fake foreign proxy wars going, if we can't keep our drug trafficking, our weapons trafficking, our human trafficking, our sex trafficking, our child sex trafficking going, if we can't keep our money laundering going, if we can't keep our bio labs going, if we can't keep our other various criminal enterprises going. In our regime stronghold in Ukraine, the ancestral home of the Kazarian Mafia. If we can't keep that stronghold in place, well, then the rest of it doesn't matter. We might as well just blow up the fiat currency and see who and what rises from the ashes. Think about it from their perspective. What do they think about the people and how the people will respond? They'll destroy everything. People will get desperate. People will look for whatever escape hatch they can find and they will take it. Janet Yellen is saying it right here. She believes they are under no threat. They can keep their system going even if the dollar crashes because people don't have another choice. She's saying, what is your alternative to the dollar, the euro and the yen? How are we not supposed to take this as a threat? They are telling you they are willing to destroy the dollar in order to get this funding that they cannot pass through Congress because the people don't want it. Back to the article. Earlier this month, the European Union passed a law to set aside windfall profits generated from frozen Russian central bank assets. Yellen calls that, quote, an action I fully endorse. So they stole this money and this money is generating <laughs> income for them and they are just deciding whether or not they're allowed to give this money to Ukraine. It's so brazen, it's actually incredible. So it's all out in the open now. Pressure coming from every direction, ratcheting up of all of these narratives to make sure that everybody knows the unipartisan compromise must pass. The government can't shut down. But at the same time, it sounds like Janet Yellen understands it already will. That is the piece of leverage they have right now. If you don't keep the government open, if you don't pass the unipartisan compromise, we are going to redirect this $300 billion worth of frozen Russian assets. We're going to give it to Ukraine to make up for the fact that you guys didn't do what you're supposed to do. And in the process, as we destroy the dollar, we are going to blame Donald Trump and MAGA extremists who were unwilling to go along with the passage of the unipartisan compromise. So not only will the immigration problem be the fault of Trump and MAGA extremists, and not only will they be blamed for abandoning our very important friends in Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan, Donald Trump and those MAGA extremists are also going to be blamed for crashing the American dollar. Now, standard issue uniparty villagers have absolutely no idea that any of this is going on. They don't put any of this together. For them, it is about Democrats versus Republicans. And if Democrats and Republicans, those cats and dogs who can never agree on anything, if they come together and they agree that something is absolutely necessary to help our friends abroad, to solve these problems at the border, and to keep our dollars strong, well, by God, they're going to do it whether or not the people want it. And that's all it'll be. It'll be good Democrats because they're all on board and it'll be some good Republicans because they're happy to get on board. They're members of the Uniparty, party and all of that will be in opposition to those MAGA extremists and their leader, Donald Trump. They're responsible for everything. They've actually destroyed the country. Can't you see it from the regime perspective? Their escape hatch is exactly what it's always been. Just direct the hate movement toward us. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'm your you can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcotour.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon. Out on the range.